open to 2 Chronicles 26. That might take you a little time to find. But uh, if you turn with me to Isaiah 6. I want to look today, we're taking this summer and looking at the Old Testament prophets. I want to look today at Isaiah. You know, it's tough to go through and to try to pick which one to hit what Isaiah saw. Isaiah is mentioned over 20 times in the New Testament. It's mentioned over and over again. Isaiah in chapters 7 first talks about that there'll be a virgin birth, right? He, he prophesies, he sees that. In uh, chapter 9 is where we, we, we always usually do this at Christmas time. That's where he comes up with the names of Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. That's in chapter 9. We could go all through in chapter 43, he talks about God doing a new thing. He mentions in verse 40 about that you will renew your strength like the eagle. Scriptures that we quote all the time. He also prophesies and sees that Jesus is going to suffer. And we read that in Isaiah 53. And then Jesus reads his first reading uh, after he comes out of the wilderness in the synagogue. He reads out of the scroll Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. Those are all the things that we see from Isaiah. But I want to look today at chapter 6. In fact, Joe uh, switched a song after he saw my email. Because the, the song that we just sang are what the angels or the seraphims are singing in heaven when Isaiah sees, actually sees the Lord. So let's pick this up in Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to read a few of these verses here. And, uh, and it says this in verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. That's going to be important. We'll come back in a minute. In the year that King Uzziah died, here's what Isaiah says. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Everybody got that? Six wings. I mean, that's pretty crazy if you try to, try to think about it. And one cried to another. One is crying to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, so here's, I love what Isaiah sees this. And then here's what he says. Woe is me for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen what? The king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? 
Then I said, here I am, send me. And the Lord said, go and tell this people. Listen to these words. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Boy, you read that. In fact, we'll read it again a little bit later because this is a word that Jesus exactly says in John chapter 12. So Isaiah gets a glimpse of the throne room of God. In fact, I remember when I was first in Bible college, and really, honestly, reading the Bible was still very new to me. My Bible that I had was a King James version, and I think it was one of those kids' Bibles because I had the Jesus on the front knocking on the door. Many of us remember that picture. So as I begin to read these things, I begin to pray, God, Please show me the throne room, right? Any of you ever prayed that before? Please show me, please show me. But I remember reading in Hebrews where it talks about that Satan himself will come as an angel of light to deceive. Well, we, we read that, we see that, that he deceives certain people, that people are looking for something to see rather than trusting what God says in his word. But when Isaiah sees this, he referred to something first. He refers to the death of who? King Uzziah. In fact, many Bible scholars believe that Isaiah may have been a cousin of King Uzziah. So it's probably a little bit more personal. But I want to look for just a minute because there's a different contrast between King Uzziah and what Isaiah sees in the throne room. So that's where, if you found it, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. I want to take just a minute and look at King Uzziah. We won't read uh, before, but he's appointed king at 16 years old. I don't know about you, what were you doing at 16? Were you running a nation? <laughs> I was running a nation at 16. I was a junior in high school. I got my driver's license just in time before the DMV closed on Rosemead. Right after football practice, I probably stunk the whole DMV, but I wanted to make sure on my 16th birthday that I had my driver's license. I was ready to go. I had my first job at 16. So think about your six. Can you run a nation? Can you even clean your room? <laughs> How come nobody says anything? You look around. So King Uzziah is appointed at 16. In fact, you can read through verse 26. You can read about his heart was to worship God and to be with God. But I wanted to pick this up in uh, verse 14, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 14. It's so important as we read this, if we're looking today at what Isaiah saw. It says, and listen to what he had come up with, almost like the wisdom that God had given him. And it says, then Uzziah prepared for them and the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stone. And he made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. You know, I get a picture like catapults. 
talk about, you know, we think of movies today that we look back or you may like that show arrows being shot from towers or catapults being used. These are all devices that Uzziah had, and he did it by skillful men. And it says, so his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till what? He became strong. That word strong is not a, a mighty strong, it's he became prideful. And so we read this on. But when he was strong in his heart, was lifted up to, for, uh, to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord who were valiant men. 81 guys are trying to stop him for what he's about to do. And it says, And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. I don't, I don't think I've ever told anybody that yet. Hey, you, get out of the sanctuary. That's pretty strong, isn't it? King Uzziah, whatever you're trying to do, get out of the sanctuary. Get out of here. Well, we read this and it goes on. Uh, after they withstood, withstood him, get out of the sanctuary for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah humbled himself before the Lord. No, it didn't say that, does it? Then Uzziah became furious. And he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord, besides the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Sixteen years old. Starts out so good. You know, we read this throughout the Bible. Saul tries to do a similar thing because he's just impatient waiting for Samuel. And so he's going to offer the sacrifices and it displeases the Lord, and the Lord that day is going to make a change and find a new king. They were to leave those, sacral, those, those duties of the priest and the high priest to them. He had no place in that one. But his heart was so lifted up that he thought he could do whatever he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And leprosy, back in those days, you were cast out of the camp. And the Bible says that this king lived in isolation until his death. So when we read, in the, year, in the year that King Uzziah died, it didn't finish well. And I don't know Isaiah's prayer. We don't really get another picture of what's taking place in the spiritual part of the land. But Isaiah all of a sudden sees, and here's what he sees. Let me read it again. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of the robe 
fills the temple. What a contrast to go from the death of Uzziah, who died a leper and an outcast, to seeing God on the throne high above anyone else. There's nobody above him. You know, and it made me think about, when you think about all of the nations of the world, within five to ten years, most all of the leaders are going to be voted out, new ones voted in. In the next 30 to 50 years, the leaders that we know of today are all going to be dead. But here's the truth. God's still going to be alive, and he's still going to be on his throne, and he's going to be high and lifted up. There's nobody that's going to be above him, and he's still there, and he's on his throne. We can be rest assured that he's never going to get off the throne. You're not going to have to worry about that. He's always going to be there. In fact, the Bible then goes on and it gives us that little description about him. And it says the train of the robe. In fact, back in those days, the kings or those in authority had long trains. It's almost like when you go to a wedding and the bride has what? A train. You know, I, I crack up nowadays at certain weddings, how they have maid of honor. You ever notice that there's always one of the girls, I call them the train of honor. They are the ones that follow the bride because they're making sure that train gets turned here and there. You know, if you're doing communion or if you're having them come kneel, they're moving that train around. I always would think, why don't you just like, after you come down the aisle, can it be like clip off the train? And then when they pronounce you and you head back, we can clip on the train because the train's always moving in and out. And some of us have seen short ones and some of us have seen ones that come all the way in. It's almost like they're cleaning the carpet themselves because the train. But God has this train that fills the entire temple that he's in. In fact, Isaiah goes on and Isaiah talks about that there are these angels and he refers to them as what? A seraphim, which Isaiah is the only one that will refer to this angel in the entire Bible. You won't find seraphim anywhere else in the Bible. In Revelation, you'll read about different angels that are up there, but he refers to them as seraphim, six wings, two of the wings cover the eyes, probably the holiness of God, two cover the, the feet. Remember back in those Bible days, we read the feet would be dirty and they would wash the feet as you would enter houses. Two of them, they fly, but, I, but when I was reading the Bible and it says this, they cry to one another. So think of it. It's almost like, do you remember years and years ago where you'd have a choir and on one side they'd start a chorus and then the next side they'd start a chorus and they'd kind of sing back and forth, back and forth. That's what we're getting a picture of. They are crying out to one another. We don't know how many there are, but they say this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, I don't know about you, maybe you have. I've never had an experience where I've seen into God's throne room. But I have had a couple experiences. And one, as I was mentioning, I, I was first in Bible college. I was on staff at our church, Valley Community Church in El Monte. I was coming uh, out of 7-Eleven with my big gulp or whatever they had back then. And there was a gentleman at the time that probably was a homeless gentleman, and he said as he came in 7-Eleven, would you get me something to eat? And I remember I turned around and I thought, oh, I should ask him what he wants, and I turned back around and he was gone. 
I'm looking down the aisles. Where did he go? I went outside, and to the left side, it was fenced off, and I went around the back, and I looked on the roof, and I looked down the little side street, and I looked up Santa Anita, and I looked down Santa Anita. I walked back at 7-Eleven. The guy was gone. And at first, I just thought, well, it saved me some money today. The guy just vanished. Later, months later, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm reading in 2 Corinthians that Apostle Paul says, hey, you know what, many times... Um, you entertain angels, in Hebrews, you entertain angels unaware. So I thought, I wonder if that was that one time. Notice that I didn't know then. So fast forward 2002, because I remember Maverick was born. I was spending a couple days up at a church in Santa Maria, and I'm at this couple's house uh, one night, and she wanted to let me know that some way, somehow, she, she says, and I don't, I don't tell anybody this. I just want to tell you this because I want to hear what you said. She says, I see angels. And I remember she looked at, my, you know, looked at my face. Now, I've known this girl for years. Went to Bible college together. I know she's not coming up with something. I said, what do you mean you see angels? She says, well, I see two of them around you. All of a sudden, do you ever have like the hair goes back down the back of your neck? And you kind of do this, right? You look in there. I'm looking at her husband. I wanted to see if the husband's... He didn't. So I was listening to her a little bit, and, um, and I remember I went back to the hotel that night. In the middle of the night, this is the truth, in the middle of the night, you ever had somebody tap you when you're asleep, and you, like, you, jump, you jump up? I got tapped three or four times, and I jumped up. I could still feel the tap, and I jumped up, and I looked at the door. The door's locked, and I looked in every you know, closet, cupboard, under cupboard. Make, there was no, open the door. There was nobody around. And I could still feel the touch. It freaked me out. I think I was up the rest of the night. Just that was the weirdest thing. I didn't think anything about it. Went back to the church that day. We're in some meetings. And, uh, and this, she came up to me and she says, you know, I just want to apologize if I overstepped and freaked you out. I said, no, but let me explain what happened to me last night. She says, you know, I've heard of those things happening. Well, I said, I don't understand why they were tap, you know, tapping me. It freaked me out. Those are the only experiences that I would say that I had that something happened that wasn't normal. But here's what I know. I know that the Lord leads by that inner witness, by his word, that we can stand on and be true. And that we don't need to see constantly or be praying to see things. That's where we get in trouble. But Isaiah, the prophet, sees. And he sees these angels. And as he, he reads around them, in fact, he's letting us know they are worshipers around the throne of God. And, and really, one of the primary roles as Christians is to be worshipers to God. But notice what happens next. So he sees God sitting on the throne. He sees these seraphim. And then the very next thing, what does he see? Himself. And what does he say? He says this. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am undone. I am a man with unclean lips. He's in the presence of God. In fact, one of those words there, I am going to get cut off, and I'm a man with unclean lips. He begins to look at himself. Notice what happens next. We read it in the scripture. Is one of the seraphim comes, and it has a live coal, and it touches his mouth. In fact, we read this in the Bible. It says, 
that it touched his mouth and it said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity has been taken away and your sin purged. He goes from seeing God, the throne, his robe, the angels, and then all of a sudden something hit him like, Oh my goodness, am I, you know, am I going to be, am I a dead man? Oh, my mouth. You ever done that before? Drop a brick on your toe, something comes out of your mouth, and you wonder, where did that come from? My wife says that word, not me. No. <laughs> you know, uh, we read in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it will eat of its fruit. Jesus talked about, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We also know that we're going to be judged according to the words, right? The words and the things that we say. So that's why we come to the Lord to work on these lips and this mouth and the things that it wants to say and wants to do. And that's what Isaiah is like, oh, my mouth. And so his mouth is touched with this coal. And the Bible says that he's cleansed. But notice what God does next. I thought that was interesting what God does in verse 8. It says, whom shall I send? Who will go up for, what does it say? Us. That's the Hebrew word Elohim. That's what we read in Genesis when it says, let us make man like in our likeness. Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy. Who are we going to send? And here is Isaiah. The first thing he says is what? Hey, send me. Right? Sign me up. I'll go. Now, some of us are like that, aren't we? You don't know what you're going to do. That's all right. I'll go. Some of us want the whole job description. Some of us want to find out after it was done just so that we can know and learn and maybe we'll do it. Can I do the next time, God? But here, here's Isaiah. I love it. Here am I. Send me. What's he getting sent to? King Uzziah died. I'm sure there's a conflict going on in the land. But tell you what, he has seen the Lord. In fact, the, the word saw, where it says, I saw the Lord, means to clearly see. It wasn't that Isaiah ate something funny the night before. He clearly saw the Lord. You know, there's people in the Bible that God calls, and some of them delay. Moses, we read, Moses was about 80 years old. And he was hiding on the backside of the desert. And God had to get his attention by a burning bush that didn't burn. But then Moses then thought about this. Well, who do I tell the children of Israel that you are? Right? He wants to come. Well, I, I need to explain who you are. I am. All right. Well, I don't talk good. So can I bring Aaron? Trying to Think about trying to work your way out of not having to do it. We read also, you know, about Samuel, who though at a young boy, when he finally knew that it was God speaking to him, God began to speak to his heart about the condition of the nation. We read about Isaiah. Isaiah is the guy, here I am, send me. We read about Saul, who finally saw the light because God blinded him that later he becomes Paul and he was so zealous against the church boy, and now he's out planting churches. God specifically called them out. You know, Jesus went and called the disciples, and I love when he calls uh, James and John. They drop their nets 
to follow him. I'm sure their dad's like, hey, where are you going? I'm following this guy, Jesus. When are you going to be back? I have no idea. I need, I need help. Jesus is always calling. Paul had Titus to appoint leaders in the church. But the Bible's full of people like Jonah. When God says, I'm going to send you to call repentance to the city. And he's like, okay. And he goes and buys a ticket, gets on the boat trying to go the other way. And he's going to say a seven-word sermon that the whole place is going to repent. Come on, sign me up for that, right? Seven-word sermon? We're out of here at 11.02. I mean, we're on, right? We're moving on. But there's people like Jonah. See, God doesn't draft all of us into the ministry. You know what he does? He steers us. He's placed us in places and jobs and where we live because he's the one steering our life. You know why? Because he sits on the throne. He's above all things. He sees all things. He knows all things. He knows if I go off to the left, he knows how to steer me back to the middle. If I go too far to the right, he knows how to steer me back because I'm following I'm listening to him. Oh, how many times i got to get back on track. I've got to get back and humble myself. And I love when I read Isaiah. In fact, I encourage you to take time to read Isaiah because of the prophetic words that he speaks, especially about Jesus. So let me close with John chapter 12 today. Because Jesus, again, is going to fulfill everything. And we look to him. He's going to fulfill everything that the Lord had intended to him to fulfill before he says it is finished. So John 12, 37. Now this is Jesus. He's in the midst of all of these miracles and feedings and people are seeing the signs. People are seeing it. They're eyewitnesses. Some of them are touching the food that was nothing and now is multiplied. And here's what it says in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, what does it say? They did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he said, Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart. Now listen to what it says. Here's the heart of God. Lest they should turn so that I should heal them. Don't do this. and You're doing this and this and this. But if you'll just turn... Here's my heart. Just make a turn. Because you know what I'll do when you turn? I'll make sure that I heal you. But you got to turn. you got to make the change. you got to let him steer you. Jesus had done so many signs before them, but they did not believe in him. You shake your head, don't you? You know, and I mentioned earlier in the service, it's Thomas, one of the twelve that says he's not with the other disciples. He says, I won't believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless I take my bony finger and I stick it in his hand and I take my hand and I stick it in the side that was pierced. Good Lord. 
Would you say that? That guy needs a coal on his lips, doesn't he? He needs about three or four coals in his mouth. He finally sees the Lord and Jesus says, all right, go ahead, handle me. Well, he doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus' exact words, because Thomas, he's, hey, blessed are those that believe and haven't seen. Blessed are those that believe and haven't seen. But Jesus' heart, God's heart, is that will you turn? Will you make that turn? Because if you make that turn and believe, you'll be healed. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Isaiah sees himself in the light of God. We don't think he's a proud and prideful person. He's not seen the Lord yet, but in the presence of the Lord, he's undone. And quickly he says, whoa. Quickly he notices that even his words are out of line. But you notice how quickly God responds? That is just like our Heavenly Father. That is so quick to respond when we repent. So quick to respond when we pray. And he's looking for people that believe. So Lord, as we come to today and as we close our service, Lord, there's always places in our heart that we need to turn. There's places in our heart that we need to humble ourselves. There's places in our heart that we maybe we reacted too quickly, but we come back and we listen to your spirit. But you're right there not to condemn, but to restore. So, Father, I thank you that you steer all of our lives in the direction that you have. Because you're on the throne. You're at work. You're leading and guiding. Our eyes, though, are to remain clearly to see you in your word. To fix our eyes on you. To follow you every day of our life. To humble ourselves before you. And so, Lord, I thank you that you steer every single one of us today. In Jesus' name. With your head bows and your eyes closed today, if if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior, would you pray this prayer along with me? In fact, the Bible just says you would mean it from your heart. Would you all pray after me? Dear God, Dear God I, believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he lived, I believe that he lived. and that he died for me. And that he died for I confess him as my Lord. I confess him as my Lord. My Savior. My Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that he rose from the dead. Thank you for bringing me into your family. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Thank you for forgiving me all my sins. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. In fact, if if you prayed that prayer for the first time or you rededicated your life to the Lord, I would sure love to connect with you and pray with you at the end of service. So we're going to close and that we all clearly see the Lord. I see the Lord. I'll close. I'll come back in a minute.